Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. Don't forget, uh, as the climate changes, the seasons change, we're into fall now. It's a chance for you to get a tune-up for your heating unit. Before you get into all of that, be sure and check out uh, Blue Water Climate Control for all of your needs with your HVAC unit. They can do the right repair the right way the first time. Give them a call today at 865-299-2290. You can book an appointment online at their website at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com or check them out on Twitter at bluehto underscore climate. Again, for your best service in HVAC needs, check out our friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Without fail, first day of fall today, and Hubs is dressed like Nanook of the North here as we tape this podcast. I mean, I mean, look, if you put on the, some pair, a pair of aviators, you'd look like the Unabomber right now. He's, he's sitting <laughs> hey. in his man cave with a hood on. Hey, it's hoodie season. It's always hoodie season. No question about that. Thanks, All right, let's, let's, let's dive right into, um, into things going into this week. And, and interesting that Rob Jeremy Pruitt comes out and just lays it out there very quickly. Hey, we've been transparent about COVID and, and all of that. And we're, no, we're, no, not. No, we're no longer going to be transparent about COVID. So we're going to be opaque. Yeah, don't don't ask any questions. Um, and, and I understand it. Look, there's no mandate from the SEC that you've got to say anything. Um, South Carolina has not been transparent about their uh, COVID numbers throughout the entire throughout the entire deal. So you know, coaches are always worried about competitive advantages and all of those things. I say all that to ask this question to both of you. Is it time that the SEC puts in some kind of policy, not, not, not for COVID so much, um, obviously that's a part of this year, but that they put in some type of NFL-type injury policy? Look, I mean, there's a lot of money on the line here. We know gambling's becoming legal all across the country in many states. Does college football need an NFL-type injury report where a guy's probable, a guy's doubtful, um, as opposed to – coach's discretion on whether they want to comment on injuries or not i don't know about need but i would i would like it and i i know fans would like it and you just mentioned you know i think the biggest thing that will be a driving force behind it is now you know sports wager it is legal in a couple of sec states i mean with with mississippi passing and is it in the somewhere in alabama is that accurate too or am i, am I wrong on that one or it's coming but any, i mean it's going to be more prevalent and more and more, and I, I, I'm sure the people that run those multi-million dollar industries will be lobbying for it. Now, you know, that doesn't mean Greg Sankey has to do it, but there, there are reasons out there now in, in your inside your SEC footprint. I think coaches would be okay with it as long as it was mandated across the board. But since it's not, and I don't think it will be, then, yeah, you're going to have more and more coaches do what Jeremy Pruitt did today. And I don't blame him. If they've been transparent, what they get out of it? I mean, seriously, what, when he was transparent that one day, what happened? Every <laughs> the scroll across ESPN and but all this stuff. He, that's what he wanted. That's what, uh-huh. Jeremy, that's what Jeremy Pruitt wanted. That's why he said that. He, he didn't – I mean, there was, that was a calculated move by Jeremy Pruitt to come out and say we yeah, have Yeah, but he had been transparent guys. about it before he started talking about the contact tracing. He had been transparent about the number of tests they had had and that type of thing um, before that date. My he point had, is, he had he had come out and said they had some positives after July fourth. He he had not gotten specific, very specific with numbers, you know, which I don't think you have to anyway. Um, my my point is, 
I don't know that he got anything out of it other than he got fans on his side with the idea that his program was getting hosed by contract tracing, which is exactly why he said that publicly to the media. That was my point. Yeah, yeah, he crafted a narrative, you know, and, you know, poor little old Tennessee's, you know, short end of the stick. We'll see. You right. know, I, again, I, you talk to enough people, I think we've all talked to guys that there's a, there's a good notion out there that, you know, yeah, Tennessee's had some guys miss, but they're not, you know, doom and gloom like everybody's, you know, like that's been portrayed the last couple of weeks. You mean they didn't have 50 people out? No, they have. They have. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, like, Tennessee's, you know, this whole, like, well, we've not been able to practice, and, you know, we went two practices without even throwing a forward pass and all this stuff that just kind of gotten, you know, pushed out there that, that you know, the the notion is that Tennessee's going to play a really rusty, you know, out-of-shape game on Saturday. And maybe they will, but I'm betting they don't. I'm betting they play a lot more clean than – Everybody thinks. Rob, around the SEC on Saturday, will will pregame warmups be more watched than they've ever been? Oh, no question. To see you know, who who's out there, who's not out there, how many total guys do they have? You know, what's is this freshman suddenly in the two deep because you know they're missing three guys at a, a particular position? Yeah, I mean, it's if, if, I, if I'm the TV stations, I'm airing it. You know, I'm showing it. And if I and if I'm a coach, Austin, I'm not sure I'm putting anybody's warming up in their jerseys until the the last ten, twelve minutes before kickoffs. That nobody's out there with the jersey on for as long as possible, right? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is no one's. I mean, yes and no. I think at that point the hay's in the barn. Um, you know, I, I I think when Tennessee you know releases the depth chart today, you're going to see a lot of mystery with it as well. I think oh. there'll be a lot of or you know. Or, no, I don't even think a lot of or. ors. I just think you're going to see a lot of upperclassmen on this depth chart. Very few freshmen are going to make this too deep, I believe. I think it's going to be making it seem like that they're going to be playing, you know, all these upperclassmen and not not that many freshmen. But in reality, I think Tennessee's going to play a lot of freshmen come Saturday. But all 70 are going to play. What he said. That's what Jeremy Pruitt said on, on Monday is that all 70 would play. Listen, here, here's, the, here's the bottom line. And, and, and listen, I, I totally get and I have no problem with Jeremy Pruitt handling the things the way he did on Monday and, and what he said. I, I think he's pushed all the right buttons, you know, from a, from a PR and a media standpoint throughout this whole thing. The bottom line is going into Saturday, not just Tennessee, but I think you can make this case for pretty much everybody in the SEC. Um, you just don't know. And, and I think that's what's going to make week one so intriguing. I mean, I don't, I don't have a clue what LSU is going to look like. You know? I mean, they're, they're so vastly different than a year ago. But they, they, there is a notion that some of those guys may come back. Maybe. A&M's got guys opting out seemingly every day. Um, you know, there, there's no open practices going on in the SEC for the most part or around the conference for people to look at. I think, I think there's just tons of intrigue and also tons of unknown, which we have no idea what you're going to get to expect. I, I thought somebody asked a great question in the chat. Are you going to see games more like Tulsa, Oklahoma State, or Miami and Louisville when you see SEC teams play on Saturday? So what do you got? Let's start with Tennessee. I mean, what do you expect out of Tennessee on Saturday? I mean, I think it's going to be a little sloppy. I mean, I don't think it'll be like 
you know, just a comedy of errors or anything. But I, I think penalties, mental bust. I mean, I, I think you'll see some things that, you know, you wouldn't wouldn't see in a normal in a normal year, or more of them. I think it depends on what you do. I mean, again, that the the notion has been pushed to me for weeks now of keeping it simple. And, you know, I, I think if, you know, teams do that, then I think they have a chance to play clean football. I think if you try to get really innovative and do things like this was a normal, you know, year and, you know, all these different circumstances weren't going on around you, then I, I think that, you know, there, there's more room for error when you do that. Here's what I've seen in watching two weeks of college football, and, and you guys may disagree and correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like on the offensive side of the ball, the, the, the better players going into the season, the known better, the more proven better players have clearly been the best players on the field for, for, for teams. Whereas teams who come in and have some unknowns and some question marks you know, particularly at key positions like quarterback or maybe on the offensive line, those teams have been the really rusty teams. Now, some people would say that's always the case in a season opener. That's what you deal with all the time. But it, it feels like the teams that have a proven commodity of somebody on offense have been the more polished offensive teams through two weeks of the football season. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean – you know, to this point, we've not had any really mega matchups either. Though. Good you point. know, I mean, it's it's easy for you know Trevor Lawrence to be Trevor up Lawrence on to have a good game against Wake and the Citadel, and, you know, Citadel, um, or you know, it's you know Notre Dame to do what they did against you know South Florida. I I just I think you know when we started getting better matchups, and I, and that's the thing about this league, even though it's not a great week in you know in league, I think Kentucky, Auburn, and Tennessee, South Carolina. are two really good matchups. They're way better than Louisville and Miami, in my opinion, as far as, like, looking at the, you know, on paper. If you're asking me what out of those three, which do I think are the best ones, I'd pick the SEC ones. I'm surprised that Alabama and Georgia both got such tough tests out of the gate. It was it was challenging. It Can was, it be any more blatant? I mean, it's, to have them let them open up and, and basically, you know, have a spring game. In no, no. I mean, it, it, I mean, it was – it was clear that they were going to the, – the two best – the two most likely – there are two teams that had the best shot at making the playoffs, you know, on paper, are going to – were going to be the teams that got the easiest schedule. Now, the Georgia thing is interesting because suddenly now JT Daniels may not get cleared to play. I think he will. But suddenly at Georgia where they thought they had – fans thought they had two Heisman Trophy quarterbacks transfer in on the roster. Now they don't know who the quarterback's going to be, which could make that one for a little bit interesting – uh, in that deal. And while we're on the topic of the SEC, it, does Ole Miss have anything for Florida? I'll be surprised. Yeah, I will be too. I, I think Florida I think Florida handles that one per, pretty comfortably in that game. Um, but we'll see what these teams look like. I, I think it will be uh, intriguing for sure. All right, let's, let's jump back to Tennessee a little bit. The, the two deepest coming out today, we, we know that that's going to have a lot of window dressing in it. Um, and maybe not some the complete accuracy of things. Sounds like Cade Mays Austin that they are prepping to have him uh, as a starter and have him eligible. We think the SEC is going to rule in, in in favor there. Yeah, I do. I mean, I just think that you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the goodwill that the the, com- the commissioner has 
drawn through this. I think that you alienate, you know, three three of your teams if you choose to go against the kids like Otis Reese going from Georgia to Ole Miss or the kid going from Auburn to Kentucky or, you know, obviously Cade going from Georgia to Tennessee, especially in a year where eligibility doesn't matter, where the, the senior, you know, organization that you're an umbrella underneath has deemed to be eligible. I mean, like, I just it, – it, it comes across petty uh, and, and really not looking out for the kid's best interest if you deem him not eligible. So I'm going to go with, yes, Tennessee gets the news they're waiting on and uh, everybody's happy. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think the, you made the biggest point, Brent. I know you said this and, and what you just said, AP. In a year where eligibility doesn't count, you know, how does – how does penalizing a kid in a year where, I mean, none of it matters make, you know, how is that defensible? Yeah. I I I just, I just don't see how, how Sankey wants to be the bad guy in in this situation. Now, stranger things have happened. We know they don't like, um, you know, transfers within the conference. I get it. All those things, but I just, you know, I, I think they put it, you know, I think Tennessee, I think Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt, particularly Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt has been pretty savvy in how he's kind of laid it at the commissioner's feet and put pressure on him without putting any pressure on him because he keeps talking about how the SEC has done everything right for the student athlete. And, you know, it's all about the student athlete and, you know, all of those things um, and that he expects and has confidence in the commissioner to make the right decision and make the, you know, all of those types of things. Pretty savvy move by, by Jeremy Pruitt on, on that one. And I think that it's crazy to think that the commissioner is not going to rule um, in those kids' favor, not just Cade Mays, but all three of those kids' favors, Austin, as you mentioned. All right, so if Cade Mays is um, eligible, what's Tennessee's offensive line look like? I'm going to go with – and I'm, I've said all along it's going to be Jameer Johnson, but I'm going to go with a game week change. Woo! I'm going to go Wanya Morris has a strong last 10 days, starts at left tackle, Trey Smith, Brandon Kennedy, Jerome Carvin, and Cade Mays at right tackle. Whoa! Interesting. Now, does do we think that – that is interesting, Austin. I, the Wanya Morris thing is really interesting. To, you know, given how little he has practiced there. Cade's going to start somewhere. What, you think that they just feel better about Carvin than Darnell Wright at this point? Is that what that boils down to? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I know Cade's been working both at right tackle and right guard. He's worked a little bit at left tackle, but Wanye's back and Jameer's over there. And Jameer's like the NASCAR driver. He only can go to the left. <laughs> he can only be on the left side of the line. They tried to put him over there a couple of years ago, and it just – I don't know. It just it doesn't work. Um, so I, I think that Kate will be over on the right side, whether it be right guard or right tackle. I just lean at this point to right tackle. Now, a year ago, and this was mentioned in the chat as well, a year ago, Jim Chaney experimented with all kinds of crazy stuff on the offensive line, including not playing Trey Smith a whole lot because he had not, quote, practiced, which didn't take them long to figure out, hey, probably ought to play him even if he doesn't practice because he's our best of the five that we have. Do, do you think that you will see them – and this is for both of you guys. Do you think you'll see Chaney and Will Friend rotate as much this game? My inkling is no because I think last year they 
underestimated Georgia State and saw that much more as a tune-up game than they did anything else. Certainly this is not a, a tune-up game. I'm not saying they won't play some other players, but, I mean, is this a team that's going to play Calbert and Darnell Wright and Spragans and, and, and Jameer and Wanye both and suddenly end up playing nine or ten offensive linemen on, on Saturday? I'd be really surprised at that. I mean, the only – you know, the only caveat to that is maybe they feel like they've got a bunch of guys that deserve to play. You know, and you mentioned, you know, Calvert started a bunch of games last year. Obviously, Darnell Wright started a bunch of games last year. I mean, is and somebody's going to lose out between Wanye and, and Jameer, who's, you know, played a lot of football for you. So, I mean, do they feel like kids have practiced and earned playing time? But uh, I'm always one for – I'm a big advocate for continuity on the offensive line. And even if you have some good guys – you know, who've practiced well, who've worked hard. If they're not your best five, I mean, I think they need to sit, especially early in the season, especially when you're playing an all-SEC slate. I think whoever, whoever your best five are, I think you need – those guys need to get most of the reps. And so, no, I don't, I don't think they'll be revolving doors. AP, what do you think? I don't think they'll be revolving doors, but I think that there will be series where, you know, it, it, it behooves Tennessee to have a fresh guy out there. Like, if, if you say – Let's let's just run off the, the idea that, you know, Wanye and, and Jameer are neck and neck. If, you know, Wanye, who's not had that much practice, if he gets to start and Tennessee, you know, has a couple of long drives and he may seem gassed, to me at, at that point it behooves you to put Jameer in for the drive to let Wanye kind of get his legs back underneath him. Well, I, I, I totally agree yeah. with that. And also, don't you think it might be a factor, too, with, you know, somebody like we know Wanye's missed a lot of time, that maybe the conditioning is not what it would be entering yeah. the, the normal season? Yeah, yeah. that or, or just at right guard. If you, if, you, if you like what Cade's bringing to you at right tackle, if that, that's the direction they go, um, you know, if Carvin and Spragans are fairly close, you know, maybe you, you, you try to, you know, get Spragans out there to get him – just get his feet wet a little bit. Did 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 that did that unit as an entire group practice enough to have that much depth? We know they have depth, but we also know they were hit pretty hard by contact tracing. Have they practiced enough to really show off their depth, or do you think it may be a couple of weeks before they can be at that place with that much depth, getting everybody back into the into the, well, into the groove of things? Dar to my knowledge, Darnell and Jameer were the only two guys that did not miss during fall camp. But Trey missed because of you know, his circumstance and the fact that while he is practicing more, he still does not practice every day. Brandon Kennedy would take every third or fourth practice off to rest the knees just because. Um, and then, you know, other guys were out due to tracing. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes guys really weren't out because of COVID, but they missed. So I think they practiced enough. I don't know if they practiced enough as a collective, you know, best five starting unit. Gotcha. All right, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, we're not sure what's going on with Darrell Middleton. I think we made that pretty clear um, in, in the um, in the chat when when asked about that. We'll see what you know, where that one is once we get to Saturday. Aubrey Solomon is doing more things. Um, sounds like they do want to play a lot of bodies on defense. We're going to see split time with Banks and, and Crouch at inside linebacker? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they both definitely play. I, you know, I just keep hearing good things about Jeremy Banks. 
you know, that it, I was told, you know, it, it, you know, you're a betting man, bet on 33 to start beside Henry. So would be a, to me, I'd be a quite a reclamation project. It goes from, you know, not even on the team to a potential starter out of the gate in an all SEC season. Yeah, um, for sure. That, that would be, um, that would say a lot about what he's done. And I, and I don't think Crouch has been bad, but that's, that's a deeper competition than anybody thought that it would be. All right. Uh, let, let's, let's have a little fun here with, with this. This will be, um, this will be a question you guys love. Um, I think I probably asked this a couple of times, but uh, what's your, who are you most interested to see offensively? Who are you most interested to see defensively? I don't care what class they are. Rob, I'll start with you. I could go with a few, but I'll go Eric Gray just because of the way he ended the year. Um, you know, I know it was Vanderbilt, but you know, Tennessee plays Vanderbilt every year. No freshman had ever done what he did against them, 246 yards. Uh, does he, you know, is he, is he building on that? And um, on the other side of the ball, uh, probably, I mean, and this is not because I think he's going to be one of the best players, but probably Tyler Barron. I mean, is because I think we all agree they need some kind of help there. Is he able to give it? I would put either him, him or um, Roman Harrison, because I think Roman Harrison's development is, is huge. I'll, I'll go offensively. I'll go Todd Chandler and Jalen Hyatt, just because we've heard so much about Hyatt. Um, and I mean, remember, this is a stadium he's played in numerous times playing the state title game. So this is going to be an old hat for him rolling in there. Um, and then defensively, I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to go Trayvon Flowers. I, I, I think that every time he's started to kind of get any traction, he's gotten injured. Can he finally find a recipe for success that equates to him staying on the field? You know, because I think he's got a lot of talent, and the coaches, I think, like him quite a bit. All right, I'm going to go offensively. I'm going to go with Princeton Fant because of what Austin Pope meant to this team last year in terms of running the football. Somebody at that tight end position has got to step up. Can that be Princeton Fant? Because I think he's the most physical out of that group when you compare him to Jacob Warren and some other guys. So I'm going to go Fant there. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go outside the box, and I'm going to say DeAndre Johnson. Because I don't think DeAndre Johnson is going to be a every-down defensive end, but I think he's a guy that I'm going to be interested to see if he's their third-down defensive end to come off the edge and, and rush the quarterback. Um, he's a little bit of a one-trick pony, I think, with his game, but can he be a guy that, on a, in specialty situations, be a guy who gets after the quarterback on a team that everybody wonders right now, can anybody get after the quarterback other than Jeremy Pruitt blitzing from a million different directions? So that's where I'm going to go. I think that's that one called AP off guard. I think he probably did. He probably is laughing at me right now going, really? I mean, DeAndre Johnson, is that what you're talking about right now? So, I mean, that was probably, that was probably AP's remark of that. He's still laughing about my hoodie anyway, so that's a whole different story. Um, Beatles Jones is going to be the kickoff return guy. You think he's the punt return guy too? I'll go yes. That's one thing. I, I think he's the kickoff return guy. I know Ty Chandler's still been back there. I just – I mean, I just don't see any positives for having Eric Gray or Ty Chandler on special. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Jim Cheney talking about needing to have them on the field at the same time. Well, to me, putting them out there in special teams is just a yeah. chance for them to get injured. And Yeah, they're not returning kicks for me. I mean, I, I mean, with, with the little – 
with the unprovenness that they have. I mean, their third running back in this game might be D. Beckwith. Who well, I think it would be Jabari Small, but, yes, your point is proven. <laughs> D. Yeah. Beckwith a week and a half ago was on was a tight end. Right. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I think it probably is small if he's healthy. But, I mean, you know, I, I'm just saying you don't have much depth at, at the running back position. I'm not taking any chances there. I, I'm not saying that you're just loaded with – you know, you don't have experience depth at the receiver position either, but I'm not putting one of my two best offensive playmakers back to return kicks at a position where there's not a whole lot behind them. I, I, I just think that that's too much risk, too much, you know, uh, we, we saw what happened in the NFL on Sunday, and there's a lot of questions about why there were so many injuries on Sunday. Maybe that's, you know, not having preseason games or whatever, but I'm just not taking chance on – on one of those two guys getting hurt on a special teams play. Um, now, they can get hurt at any point, but, you know, you're going to be pretty sick to your stomach if you end up losing one of those guys to, to any kind of special teams, um, you know, play and, and not have them on the offensive side of the ball for you, which I think is, is the most needed. Interesting that none of us picked Jerry Garantano as we wrap it up here. I really thought as, you were going to. As, as the guy to watch. I mean – I think that's probably a little bit of a given, Rob. And I think it's everybody's just kind of at the point where, you know, it's it, he either will or he won't. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's his team. Um, he has the same offensive quarter. I mean, he's never been in a better situation to be successful than he's going to be on Saturday. Um, so – it's either him – I mean, he either can do it or he can't do it in, in a lot of ways. I mean, look, this offensive line's got experience. I know he's got young receivers, but he's got an experienced offensive line. He has a ton of experience himself, and he's got his first returning play caller and same system that he's ever been in. Two, two, good, running, two good running backs, and you're playing on the road in front of 20,000 people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this one's – I'm not saying he needs to go out and, you know – put up 400 yards or whatever, but there's, there, there will be great disappointment, not, not just among fans. There'll be great disappointment in the program if he doesn't play really solid on Saturday, manage the offense, take care of business, and move this offense. Again, he doesn't have to have Missouri, which was the 400-yard anomaly. He just can't have the 120-yard game. They've got to find where his floor is 200, 200-plus, 200 no turnovers. It's, I was going to say, for me, it's not even about numbers and productivity. It's about efficiency, not, you know, not forcing those balls in to where, you know, you know, he didn't even see the guy, you know, pretty obviously. Not missing the wide open throws like the Wood Anderson at Florida or the one to Jennings on the double move at Alabama that Cheney had, you know, just been setting up for the whole game. And, and please, none of the swing passes that, you know, are, are worm burning laterals. Yeah, absolutely. And to borrow one of your golf analogies, AP, I just think he's got to hit fairways. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be the furthest shot down the down the fairway, but he's got to hit fairways, not be in the rough. Right, he doesn't have to be Bryce and DeChambeau. You don't have to hit him to win the U.S. Open, apparently. <laughs> fairways. Yeah. No, I don't know what you got to do to win up there, um, but yeah, I, I just think he's got to stay out of trouble and avoid big numbers, so to speak, to continue with it. He can't play golf like I play golf. He's got to play it like AP plays golf, where you birdie four or five holes in a row and dominate. Oh yeah, the way the way Austin likes to dominate. All right, no. that's gonna do it. That's gonna do what? 
Just dominate. Just dominate. All right, that's going to do it that's, for this. I mean, um, I don't even understand what you're asking. <laughs> he didn't understand what you were asking. He right? didn't understand what I was asking. <laughs> I, it took forever for that to make its way to the board. I was like, yeah. well, here comes the board. Oh, he got roasted. I texted him afterwards. I said, you murdered me on the radio, but you got the laugh cry emoji. And I said, that's okay. I'll murder your wallet on the golf course next time. <laughs> the fact <laughs> The fact that he fired back with an emoji is pretty comical all to itself. Anyway, that's going to do it for this edition of the VaultQuest.com podcast. (laughs) Brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. For Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.